1: Welcome back to Brooko Mode for the sixth episode. I'm joined by content editor, Bella Boris. Thanks for coming on.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Normally behind the camera, we've got her on the show to interview me and give a bit of insight into me and for the audience to sort of, you know, get the why behind the show and learn a bit more about me. So, Bella it's over to you to conduct the rest of the I'm interview. kind of
2: excited like you said I'm usually behind the camera so this is different but see how we go. So give the audience a little bit of background of your sporting history. Where did it all start? What's your earliest sporting memory?
1: Well mostly I've just been playing cricket and footy since I was younger. Got into playing Kick when I was quite young. I played a year up for a few years and then I stopped playing a year up and when played with my year group I was at North Beach and that's some of my earliest you know footy memories and then I got into cricket I can't even remember how I got into cricket I think it's just an Australian sport so you know with my dad and playing with my dad and stuff like that nothing special about my early early sport sporting journey
2: (laughs) i feel like cricket's one of those things where everyone just kind of does it in their backyard as a kid and then if they're like oh i'm kind of good at it you just kind of like stick it out but then you might get to an age where you're like oh shit like it kind of takes up my whole sunday like
1: yeah it is like that
2: so back in the day when you were like well obviously you still are into sport who were some of your influences and your idols that you looked up to when you played sport back then and then how has that morphed into who you look up to now
1: well, footy was more of my main sport but also cricket in the early days those are my two main sports and in about 2006 I started going for Geelong my dad paid me to go for Geelong <laughs> <laughs> I loved all the like the great Geelong players then you know Gary Ablett Jimmy Bartel, Steve Johnson yeah. Matthew Scarlett like all those people in terms of who I sort of looked up to it's hard to go past like Gary Ablett and stuff like that I don't know I find it hard to reflect on footy idols I probably in the last five years you you, you look at players and because you're becoming more of a senior football player you can sort of see like okay I sort of want to play like this person in for cricket I'd probably say it's hard to go oh Michael Clark was my favorite player (laughs) back in the day had his all his bats yeah those those two and those sports but I don't know I looked up to those cricket players and those footy players but at the same time you know you're trying to recreate them in the backyard i think i had gil chris gloves for a, for a while the orange gloves and i try to be like him when i started keeping and playing cricket other than that probably it's shaped me a little bit but i don't know sort of just create your own identity and yeah. and take traits from each each sports player
2: and what about now is there anyone that like not so much or
1: oh there's players like who you look up to with certain things and you're like oh we'll go to footy like there's people who mark the ball and, and intercept it and you're like okay like I want to develop that yeah or there's players who you sort of think you're similar to whether that's with your kicking handballing, or stuff like that and you look at certain traits like their explosiveness and you think okay I want to I sort of want to model some of my game off that but I'm probably not like I don't really like to model too much of my game off other people sort of just take Look for uh, look for inspiration to improve in certain ways, but you at the same time you're your own player, and you can improve yourself to your best ability. That's that's how I see it.
2: Yeah, for sure. So obviously you've been playing sport for a while, and it's kind of a roller coaster of emotions. I want to talk about the lowest sporting achievement you remember, and how you kind of bounce back from that, and how you learned to cope with those type of negative experiences.
1: So can that be like an injury? Like?
2: Yeah, literally anything.
1: Uh, Probably from my memory would be when I broke my ankle or fractured my ankle, something like that, in year 11, playing for Hale in the... What year 11? So, yeah, I was in the seconds team and, yeah, that was pretty bad because I was out for pretty much the whole season except for the last two games in club footy. So, that was like a a four-month injury or something like that. Wow. And the pain was was unbearable what, like a few days after the surgery but that was probably the lowest because like I was f- feeling pretty good about my footy then um, in terms of like you know first year of like year 11 12 for hail and sort of just making my way as a forward and then you sort of miss a whole year but that was the hardest in terms of like because I was so obsessed with playing footy and then you suddenly aren't playing footy. I always had like really high expectations and ambitions with football so when that sort of got thrown out the window and it was just like you can't even play footy yet alone try and play in the first or the highest team you know I sort of was quite annoyed to not be playing just not be playing f- sport again yeah but you know there was tough periods there like I remember like having to like shower with like like a a shower <laughs> bag over my leg like over my car so yeah. it couldn't get wet and stuff like that and you know I just hated I hated being injured like that. And to be honest I'm I haven't had t- too many injuries besides that but I find injuries really hard to cope with. Yeah. Because I'm so motivated to like improve and stuff like that. So when you have to stop doing what you're doing
2: you're just so restricted.
1: Yeah. Um that was pretty hard mentally. The first period of it was like oh I don't want to play footy anymore. Like that was like the first bit because, like, I'd lost all my, like, fitness and, like, I just felt really bad about myself and sort of, like, dug my own little hole. Then, you know, you you sort of can come of it two ways. And I I was just... I sort of just missed playing footy. I still went and watched a lot of footy and I thought, you know, I actually just... I actually love the game, regardless of my aspirations to be as good as I can be. So then that sort of motivated me again to to, get back into it. That was hard, but I actually ended up playing the last few games of the season And then that was like a good end to the year. So I didn't have the full year off fully, but that was hard in terms of all that like footy I missed because it was just hard to watch.
2: Yeah. How did you break your ankle in the first place? Because I feel like you can be out for so long when you break your ankle and in a cast it's just like you can't go anywhere. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Was it in sport? Did you do it in
0: sport? Yeah, it
1: was during a footy game. I think it was the end of the first quarter and my ankle sort of went under somebody. Oh, and then someone like stood on it like accidentally or weight went on it and like as soon as it happened like, like I've rolled heaps of ankles yeah but you knew but, like I knew that was more yeah. because I had the weight on it yeah I, I can't remember exactly but I was on the sidelines like I was holding together pretty well and it was pretty fucking painful I think I had a lot of adrenaline and then the hardest pain I had was After the surgery, when I was laying on the couch and I didn't actually have any like pins or put in, it was like, it was like all my bones and stuff or whatever. I can't, I don't understand it, but (laughs) (laughs) it was put back into place without any, um, needles or pins, sorry. Yeah. That, you know, had a cast on and then it was fucking unbearable pain because the painkillers weren't high enough. And that I, I didn't even cry when I broke my ankle really after the surgery on the couch like this is i've never been in, in so much, much pain, pain. Like, i was crying like so much like <laughs> screaming until we finally got a hold of some stronger stuff and then i was able to do it better but yeah that from memory because you sort of become disconnected from that feeling but yeah you don't want to
2: relive it oh
1: i just know that that was like i can just remember how bad that was like. yeah it's pretty messed up
2: well i was gonna ask you because we talked about lower sporting achievement with injury. I was going to ask you about your highest sporting achievement, but I feel like first I have a stop for pop question, which I feel like fits in really well.
0: Stop for pop.
2: So you rode in Hale's first eight in Head of River and won Hales Award for Most Improved. What mindset and life skills did you transfer from rowing to your daily life? I feel like we haven't talked about your rowing much, so this is is a good question.
1: Yeah, it's a good segue. I started in year eight. And then, you know, rode all the way to year 12 Rowing is the hardest sport It's honestly probably harder mentally than physically Really? In terms of like, physically You're always going to go through pain with most sports But it's one of those sports where you can't just like stop And it's one of those sports where How hard you're willing to work is going to determine a lot of your outcomes, which is the thing I love about rowing because it's like how hard you work is going to have a very direct yeah, correspondence sure. to your outcome. That's what I loved about rowing. But, you know, I rowed in the in the lower cruise for probably year 8, 9, 10 and 11. I was even in the thirds. And then over that summer period is like a huge break. It's like a six-week break. They have a few rowing sessions and a rowing camp, but I was held determined to get the most out of my rowing because I'd done it for f- four years. And I thought probably one of the reasons I did well is I didn't really have expectations I thought I just wanted to be in the second, uh, sorry, the second eight, you know, enjoy it. Cause it was actually, it's the camaraderie in rowing is unrivaled, but I was just wanted to get the most out of my rowing because I'd done it for so long. It was a bit of a sunk cost fallacy. I was in it. So I just thought I'll just get the most out of it while I'm here. Well, I'll explain that journey. So then over that summer period, I, I'd like really knuckled down on my fitness. So I think from memory, it's, I didn't really know what to do in terms of like a perfect program. So I just started running. I, was doing, I did 5Ks a day, just running for like probably four or five weeks. And I did a few rowing ergo sessions. And that wasn't even that extreme, but it was a lot more than other people did. And that definitely helped me get into the first eight. I didn't even do any like amazing ergo times or anything like that. only dropped a seven minute 2K. I didn't even, and then from then on, I stayed in the the first eight and then got my time down to like a 6.40. Forgot to mention that, yeah, our our crew ended up coming second in the head of the river. It did feel like a first because (laughs) the team that we lost to, won by like 10 seconds and really? they went on to compete over in nationals over east so it was always the second third and fourth teams were always really close and we hadn't got second in any any of the heats so you race for, for rowing you race seven weeks in a row or saying it's like you have seven or and then you have a head of the river and that determines what row you're, uh, lane you're in it doesn't really matter but it's pretty much all preparation for the head of the river and we hadn't come above fourth i think really but we've gotten like fourth fifth like well i think even a third maybe but we never got second and then on head of the river i still watch the race every once a year maybe (laughs) because it's so cool like it's probably my best um memory in terms of like team camaraderie and it felt like a win because like we knew, uh, it, even though we probably raced nearly our best race for what we what we had, it felt like we'd won because we got the most out of, out of ourselves. And I draw a lot of like life skills from that experience in terms of like, it felt like a win because we got the most out of ourselves. And that's all you can really do, isn't it? Yeah, and we sure. probably didn't have the capacity to beat them. So if we got the most out of ourselves and come second, then it honestly felt like a win. And yeah. that's really, that's what it's about. And uh, the life skills just from... Rowing, you gain is you know this the discipline like rowing eight times a week Monday Tuesday Thursday and Saturday and you're getting up at like four thirty yeah. and then you're training the afternoon and you also have to go to school for the whole day so you having know how you do that so you having twelve hour days for or 3 times a week and then you do the double session on a Saturday. So like it just teaches you extreme discipline coupled with all the school work. For me I was very committed to training, so I always tried my hardest at the training and got went to every training and that worked out for me well individually. And obviously, I got the most improved award, but I think that was a reflection of the effort I put into rowing. And to me, that just shows that, you know, if you put in the work, you can get outcomes. And that was really good evidence that I always reflect on, like, that experience and draw from that about how hard I worked. And, you know, it was never, it's never that easy. That that was really hard, like... It sounds easy in hindsight to say, like, oh, I had to work hard yeah. and stuff like that. But, geez, like, it was mentally some very tough days, like, wanting to, to not get out of bed and, and yeah, I can imagine. And row and stuff like that. And there's times where I wanted to quit. Sometimes it's hard to know why I kept going. I think it was just, to me, just the culture of the boys, which was... Which also is another... You know, there's so many things you can draw from that experience. And that, to me, showed, like, what re- good relationships can do to, for, like, to, to make you work hard and... To create, creating good environments can make good teams. And that's probably what I drew out of that from that experience.
2: Yeah, for sure. I've known you for a long time. I've always wanted to know how you got into rowing because it's not a very popular sport. I feel like lots of people do play footy and cricket and soccer. But how did you get into
1: rowing? I started in year eight. I didn't have many friends at school. I knew, knew, <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> it's Sorry. not that funny. <laughs> well, so everyone, at, everyone at Hale started in year seven.
2: Right. So it was a school thing.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, and then I started in year eight. I started cricket in, in semester one. Is it, some, I think they're terms now. They were terms, term one. Cause now I'm at There's uni. There's four terms in yeah, two semesters. Yeah. Ter- yeah. I'm getting, yeah. yeah term, okay. In term one. Right. I played cricket and I was playing quite a low grade. I pro- I don't know. I'm sort of glad I didn't stick with cricket because it was because of how good footy ended up being. Uh, sorry, rowing ended up being. But I didn't realize that if I knew I was going to get back into cricket and I had a time traveling machine, I know I actually I'd, I wouldn't go back to cricket, but I knew that if I if, if I'd kept playing cricket from all my juniors upwards, I would have played cricket, but I didn't play for so long from like year 4 to like year 8. And then when I played, I wasn't doing as good as I thought I could do. So, then I was like, fuck it, let's try saying new. And I had a few mates in my class who were doing rowing in semester one. Right. So, term one, I get Term one. And then when we started in term four, they were like, you know, just try it. I thought, why not? I'm already We're already paying this much money to go here. We might as well try something new. Yeah. So, then I got in. And then, like, once you're into rowing, you know, there's a lot of people who quit. So, that's fair. But I was hooked by, you know, the feelings after like how hard you had to work and all that stuff and just the culture I was sick so yeah that's how I got into it. You
2: talk about like I feel like because I, obviously I went to a public school there wasn't many benefits from it do you feel like Hale really helped with where you're at in your life now in terms of like motivation and your sport and things like
1: that yeah there's so many different life lessons and things I can draw from my time at Hale whether that's with regard to sport or the academic stuff I think in just generally like it's such a competitive sorry competitive environment if you want to if you are that sort of person inclined to be wanting to do your best like you sort of just get forced to do your best like I was very competitive with academic stuff and sporting stuff so that that pushed me to do really well but sometimes what happens is then when you go into the extern like outside of high school and you go to uni this is definitely for me like I didn't have any motivation to do university yeah and I'm like why is this and I'm like I was so reliant on other people's you know other people to motivate me and I, I then I really reflect on this, like, I didn't really have much internal intrinsic motivation yeah and it was all like the ego boost I was getting from like doing well and comparing myself to other people like in year 10 and in year 11 i topped like economics in the year i thought i loved economics like i still like some of it until i went to uni and did it there read a little more external stuff I, I realized i didn't really care much for it yeah and i thought why is this so i had to reflect on it. i thought okay i think it's because i did so well and it would just it boosted my ego so much that i thought i loved it but it, i didn't and then i had a bit of a lost period. for for academic stuff. I was always motivated with the sports stuff because I had my, you know, footy club and stuff like that and I just, like, love gymming and stuff like that. So, it's all that. That was all good. But, yeah, I lost myself for a bit and I didn't do uni for, like, a... I was going to do law and stuff like that. But even then, I didn't even really know whether I liked that. I think I just wanted to do it because it was, like what you should do sort of thing and and it probably took a bit of self-discovering to find my true passion but you know there's nothing wrong with that i took a semester off and i thought okay i'm gonna have all this time off i might as well find myself i read a few books and i thought okay this is sort, sort of where i want to go so yeah that's what i draw out of that from the Hale experience but for what you pay is what you get i think if you're invested. Yeah. It's so, there's a lot of people who go to schools like that and don't really put in and don't try and get from the experience. But I think you pay for what you get if you're willing to work hard and try new things. And I probably didn't try enough things, but I did rowing and that was probably, there's not many times you get to row unless you go to a rowing club and stuff like that. You get to, use like $60,000, $80,000 boats and row on the Swan River. It's I, pretty cool. I did that like, and gee, some of the views like, the Swan. Uh, sorry, the Hale Rowing Shed is not that great in comparison to other schools, purely because of the water we had to experience. We were in the worst spot for the rough tides of the Swan River. There was a lot of times we rowed and it was very bumpy and stuff like that, which makes you grateful for when it was really flat. That sort of became sort of the, the rowing spirit that we... Grew, like willing to work hard in whatever conditions I don't know how I brought this back to That's it's fine but yeah
2: okay so we touched on uni a little bit just then I want to talk about how you're doing psychology and I, I also want to I love this point that we just spoke about how other people's like comments and positive opinions that like fuel you can only kind of take you so far and like you said you kind of realized once you got into uni that you didn't really like economics how did you come across psychology
1: yeah you're right you can't other people's opinions can and all that sort of stuff can only take you so far and I don't really know how I got into psychology I think I've always been as a person I've always been very self-conscious and very like in my own head as like someone who learns about psychology try and be as self-aware as I can and try and understand what caused that you know I've pinpointed a few things that aren't really worth going into but it just stemmed from my sort of ambition to understand people and get the most out of myself, and then try and help other people. But I think that's... It's not that simple. I think there's so many experiences I've had, good and bad, that have made me... You know, there's... Everyone is going to go through hard stuff, but there's been times where, like, I've felt like I've been the victim of, like... You know, I'm not going to say, oh, I've been bullied, but, you know, there's times (laughs) where people get picked on. Yeah, for sure. And I've been picked on in times, and cop stuff, and I always really used to think it was me and that's probably what stemmed from me really wanting to understand why people are like that because like I always thought that I was very worthy in terms of like a good person and does a lot of like decently high achieving things in school and sport and I always used to think like why me is it me and then it was until I sort of reflected a lot and got into the space a bit that I sort of understood started to you know people always say like oh they're only picking on you because of like their insecurities and stuff like that and that is true to an extent but there's so many deeper things about why people do things and that's what really interested me like why are people how they are and why am I like how I am yeah (laughs) it's as shallow and as deep as you want it to be but that's what interests me you know I didn't have a huge understanding of psychology Um, that wasn't offered at Hale. so i wasn 't really aware of the space too much other than like the surface level understanding of people have about psychology or like sit in a therapist chair that 's like the all that understanding I sort of had, but I knew there was a lot about the mind and learning about people and stuff like that so that 's what got me into the space and then once I was into the space. I really started to read stuff, learn stuff, and I thought, okay, this is my calling. I know it's a bit dramatic, but (laughs) but that's what it felt like. Yeah. It was until I probably got into it more that I realized I loved it, but I sort of was only able to do that because I was able to free myself from forcing myself to do stuff. If I forced myself just to do economics and go with that, I probably would have kept going and got really good marks because I was really good at it. But I sort of took the pressure off myself and sort of waited for something to grab my attention and and I really reflected on things and then that was more of my calling to go into into this field. And then once I was in it, I sort of like fell in love with that whole space of learning about other people and yourself and you know all the stuff that comes with psychology.
2: Yeah. You've been you've been my psychologist a time or two, I know that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the way you dealt with it though, like when you went into psych was really cool because lots of people obviously struggle with we don't like the term bullying, but it's there. And it can kind of either take you one of two ways, right? You can kind of just kill up in a little ball and not deal with life, or you can break it down and try and understand why it's happening. You reap the benefits from it. So I feel like that's really cool what you've done. What is your like biggest ambition for psychology do you have any like big plans
1: I think in this field of psychology there's you're always going to be learning and that's probably the one thing I have learned from doing this is that you're always going to be learning your whole life and for me it's about learning as much as I can about what I want to learn as quick as possible but not rushing that process it's just every day listening to podcasts about things reading the uni textbooks there's so many I call them mediums there's so many mediums to learn from there's so many ways you can learn. And I try and learn through as many ways as possible. And a new medium I opened up was this podcast. It's a new medium for me to learn. So I'm learning through so many things and through my own experiences. The reason I want to learn is to understand things, understand myself, understand other people and help people and help myself. And it's, it's simple as that. In terms of like a plan, I'm finishing my undergraduate psychology this year I'm planning to do honours from there I don't know whether I'll do how whether I'll do my fifth or sixth it's probably likely that's when you start specialising in like a sports psychology field and they don't really have any here in Perth right So that's something I haven't thought about too much. In terms of ambitions for what I'm going to learn in this field, I sort of want to be work for myself. I don't really want to go and work for, you know, some psychology place and just sit in an office. I really want to, I don't have a perfect name for it. It's sort of like freelance stuff, like consultant work. I want to build like my own brand with what I know. And, you know, I'm right at the beginning of the journey. So I'm nowhere near where I want to be, but I'm also on the path where I want to be. So, that's why I'm happy that I'm going the way I want to go. But I'm also, like, waking up each day so motivated because, like, I'm so far away from where I want to be, which motivates me because I want to be there. But also loving that process of learning because, to me, learning about all this stuff is very rewarding to myself just because... I feel like I understand things and I don't know what it is about me that I just love understanding certain things like how people thrive and what makes people tick and stuff like that. You know, I want to build my own brand just so that I can get enough work and then I can, you know, I'm not, it's not just sports psychology that it interests me. Like I really like helping people. When I do that and I, and I talk to people in deep conversation about things in their life and problems they have like that, to me it's really rewarding purely because I like making people happy and being at their best and that's what motivates me so I think it's not just going to be a sports psychology thing the reason I love doing the sports psychology is because I love sport and I've had so many periods of my sporting journey where I've loved it and then there's times where I haven't loved it and there's times where I've been at my best and I haven't been at my best and I want people to be able to enjoy their sport get the most out of it for themselves and for everyone involved it's really easy to like talk big in general like that it's not really going to matter what I say now it's going to matter what I do. Yeah, exactly. I say these big goals, but it's not something I reflect on heaps because I'm very aware of like how what I need to do to get to where I want to be. So I sort of just try and do that every day and get on the path. That's why when I'm injured or and I'm, when I'm not motivated or like yesterday I was feeling shit and I didn't really do much and I was unproductive and that's where like I felt shit because like I'm not going on the path I want to be on like I'm not learning much I'm not but that's okay like the rest is important yeah but I'm not (laughs) you're
2: allowed to have a day off yeah I
1: don't love resting (laughs) but that's why like but that's when I know that I'm doing what I want to do because like then when i do things and learn stuff it, it just feels really internally rewarding that's sort of what i want to do but definitely just the start of the journey and i'm sure like what i want to do and ha- how i want to help people is going to change but with the sport stuff just to give a bit more specific stuff like i would love to like get people to perform at their best and enjoy sport more and there's going to be s- such a vast array of people who have problems not just in sport but in life and you know i'd love to help them but once again i've got to equip myself with knowledge through all these mediums i talk about so that i can help people but that's what motivates me
2: is it scary because i feel like i struggle to motivate myself if i don't have a very specific end goal because if i don't have a specific end goal in mind that i can work towards i think what's the point like do you struggle with that
1: i know what you mean i used to be obsessed about end goals like everyone playing being younger, playing footy, wants to play AFL right? yeah. or play cricket for Australia. I still play sports sometimes, not with those like full ambitions. You think, okay, I want to, I'm doing these things and I'm trying to think of an outcome rather than staying in the process. And you've heard me say that heaps in the show about yeah. sticking to your process, but that's what the motivation thing is. It's being, I talked about it in the last episode. I said motivation is basically being able to stick to your process regardless of the external stuff. And I think a lot of outcomes are externally motivated. I'll give you an example. So like you might think I have this outcome I want to get. I want to, let's say if it was me, I say I want to be like sports psychology consultant in Perth. Okay, that's an outcome, right? Now, I sort of know the process of how that would get to be. Like I sort of know the steps that would be in place to get to be very influential and important. That's going to take a long time. But if that's what motivates me, what am i actually being motivated by i'm being motivated by what's going to happen when i achieve that outcome which is what people are going to think of me how they're going to boost my ego how they're going to you know give me all those ego filling things all the process stuff all, most of the time this process stuff is internally driven and that's what i that's what i've learned is all these things i learn Yes, it's to help other people, but it's an internal thing. I'm not doing it to other people to say good things about me, if you know what I mean. So, like, you've got to go on your own journey with whatever you're doing. Because, like, it's never that simple because, like, I know what I want to do. So, it's clear to me. But some people are going to be different. And, so, and, the, and the outcomes...
2: Yeah, very few people are that lucky this early on to find something that they love and, like, know what they want to do.
1: Yeah, well, I, I guess so. But, but but then again it's one of those things where like I didn't know for a long time or I thought I knew and it's so easy to be caught up in the moment like when I was doing well economics I thought that was my calling and I don't have full, full answers for this yet to say in this field about how to get people to realise what they're meant to do it takes a lot of reflecting and thinking to know but I think a lot of people rush that process because of the way our society is set up and that's that's okay because not everyone's has been in in a fortunate position I am to not have to work as much as other people have and I've had a lot of time to do things I want to do which has really helped me and I'm grateful that my parents have enabled me to do that. Like I said, not everyone's going to be that fortunate but then that's where you've got to sort of take responsibility yourself. Like I was lucky and that's probably helped me but once again, what, what my journey is That shouldn't be about your journey, shouldn't be about me. Just because I was lucky that, or other people have fortunate positions, that doesn't mean that, like, you can't take responsibility for your own journey. And then really discover what you want to do, and it might take a lot of time to figure that out. But I think the more you reflect on your life and the things that motivate you and give you and uh, your passions and stuff like that, the more chance you are to, to find it. And I think tr- a lot of the time you have to try new things, like psychology. Like when I when I started doing, I actually thought like straight away, like I I, knew, I know that this is what I want to do, and I was lucky like that. But I also did economics to start and law, and for the first like few weeks. I thought, okay, this is it too. Who knows in five years if I change my mind and I'm doing some something different? But I don't think I am. <laughs> but if you know what I mean, you have to... I hate saying trust, that, trust the process, but put time into things and it'll figure itself out.
2: Well, I want to kind of segue. Stay on the psychology train, but talk about, you know, you said trying new things. We're doing this podcast together. How are you incorporating your psych into the podcast?
1: It's a good question because the basis for the show was to from a psychological point of view and I, I try and make questions to my guests to learn from them that are psychological and a lot like mindset motivation all that stuff it's going to take me time to figure out how I can learn from them best because what I'm trying to do is one get knowledge and life experience from people and sort of try and understand their processes and you know stuff from what they've learned to help other people and to help myself. It can help them reflect on things, you know, they can reflect on their experiences and think, okay, like, this has actually been such a good journey, like, this is where I've been, okay, maybe I sort of want to go this way. So it's a two-way street, it doesn't just help me, it can help them. You know, the, the psychological, psychological point of view is the skill for me is going to be at getting as much as I can out of them, because it is a skill and it is hard, but I want to learn as much as I can from them. Try and do it from a psychological point of view, because that's what the show is mostly about.
2: It's so exciting. It's only, what, six episodes in, but it's so exciting. My last question, I feel like it's a pretty good one to end on. So the podcast motto is embrace the uncertainty. Give us a little background into what that means and why you chose that.
1: Yeah, that's a good, good last question. I think embracing the uncertainty for me is going to be different for every person. But I think it's a really good general motto to have. The motto came one night when I was talking to someone about the show and we were having a deep conversation and I said, it's just all about embracing the uncertainty. And I thought, okay. And then that person said, okay, that's very good. Yeah. I, I thought, <laughs> this, is, this is really, when I think about it, embracing the uncertainty is probably the hardest thing to do, or at least it was for me. And I think that's what a lot of people struggle with because I think as humans, as people, like we crave certainty. We love knowing. And I, I, I used do. to love it. I used to always crave answers. Oh, what team am I going to play in? Stuff like yeah, that. Yeah,
2: structure and planning.
1: It's Yeah, but I think once you figure out your process, that, that's probably the f- first thing you need to do before you start embracing the uncertainty because if you don't have a process to trust, it's hard to embrace the uncertainty. But once you've got your stepping stones in place and that's why I don't want people to worry too much about the outcome, which is the uncertainty. So you have to embrace that uncertainty by trusting your process but being able to embrace the uncertainty is is probably the key thing i'm focusing on now it might change it might be other things but i think it's really good because i think whatever, when we play sport when we play cricket whatever we play we love to you know i would love to know every time I went out to bat i was going to make 50 yeah yeah I would, because how good would that
0: be
1: like we know that would be good and like then you start thinking of out when you start thinking like that you start thinking of outcomes and you sort of lose your process i start thinking oh i've just got to make 30 that's a good score and stuff like that and and outcome oriented but embracing the uncertainty that i might make zero i might make five i might make a hundred like being able to embrace that is the key thing because then you stop worrying about it and then it enables you to get into your process and your flow better and once you're into your I like to call it a flow state because you stop overthinking and you just start going through whatever skills you're doing because you're not overthinking and you're just doing it how you know. And you've done all this training. So whatever sport you're doing, whether it's footy or cricket, like how many... Like we had Ethan Shears on last week. Imagine how many cricket balls he hit. If he's thinking about what score he's going to get, that's going to have a huge impact on his mindset. But if he's just reacting to the ball and playing and going through his process of his technique and stuff, he's in a way better position to play it like that. But it's, it's so easy to say that stuff and that's why i want to learn the skills to be able to help people because it's not just about like people are aware that they're going to do better when they're not overthinking like that's just common sense yeah like you don't have to be a psychologist to understand that it's about learning the skills and about being able to get people to understand themselves and reflect and learn better processes for themselves and stuff like that, which is the key thing. I we've sort of gone side sideways with yeah, it, embracing side the uncertainty. <laughs> but that is the whole motto of the show because if people can embrace that uncertainty, they're more likely to stick to their process and have better outcomes, which is paradoxical. You know what I mean? Because you think if people are thinking about outcomes the outcomes might be better because if they're focused on it it's important to them but the less they focus on outcomes the better they'll be so that's why it's sort of like counterintuitive to say like oh embrace the uncertainty but I think it's really appropriate to most boarding things I probably haven't thought about it in just a general life context as much but I think it can have the same sort of application in terms of being able to live your life and do things and not worry about things it's that's so easy to say because like we crave certainty i know i do that's been that's what i'm trying to learn in this field a lot of it comes back to our evolutionary roots
2: yeah it's like a human instinct
1: it is we want to know things it's a it's a survival mechanism to know and be certain of what's going to happen but i think it's a skill that can be taught and i think it's a a process you can learn for yourself and i think it takes it's not easy But I think if people want to change how they're going about things and get to outcomes, I know we don't want to focus on outcomes, but they want to get to places in life where they want to be, this psychological field has huge opportunity for anyone to grow in and just enjoy life more. It comes down to, it seems selfish, but it comes down to understanding yourself better. And I think a lot of the time people get caught up in life through other people's lenses. Once you can live life through your lens and just be able to enjoy it for what it is I we've, as humans we're very other people oriented if you know what i mean it's easy to say i'll oh, focus on yourself because like once again i'm not someone who i don't like giving advice that is just plain i like to give skills and then help people reflect in certain ways but that's going to be a key thing for me to learn how to get people to focus on their own process
2: i feel like we did good i love that question do you want to wrap it up or do you have anything else you want to say
1: no i don't have too much else to say I think how
2: good were my questions shout out to Tate Robertson he helped me a little (laughs) bit but
1: yeah they're great questions and I think I think it gives a good basis for the show like I mean we didn't we didn't go into things like my footy hell specific into my footy journey and all that stuff because, but because I, th- I think it's more important for people to understand why I want to do things like what what is the base for the show and you know what motivated me to want to help myself and other people and stuff like that. So I think they're really good questions that were specific to the direction of the show. I hope that gives insight for any of our twenty listeners. That <laughs> I hope I hope they get some insight into that. And I, I think we you know we're just on the journey upwards.
2: We are, we're having fun
1: Yeah, exactly, we're having fun To end the show, like I want to just talk about one last thing. And okay, I, go for it. And I think the hardest thing that I've had to deal with and I think other people will be in the same boat is caring about what other people think. Yeah. And I, like I would love to have and now that we're talking about it, I'm actually th- thinking we should have like episodes talking about certain things like. That. We should. Yeah. Because I think it's it's I love it's great to talk to sport about people. At the end of the day, sport is just one part of life. A lot of people struggle in this regard, caring about what other people think. I've been a victim of that. And still am um, to an extent. Like it's one of those things, like we said, it's just a defence mechanism. It's hugely important to be able to live life through your own lens. It's hugely important not just for athletes but anyone who's listening who doesn't even play sport. Yeah. Stuff like that.
2: And I feel like you don't need to cut it out completely. Like you're still allowed to take on people's opinions and feedback and things like that. But when it's impacting you in such a negative way that you're struggling with that process like we talked about before, yet you really have to peel it back and think like right, like
1: like you want to be able to live your life through your own lens. Yeah, exactly. So that's what you want. And I think when you start when it starts like you said, when it starts impacting you. So basically as soon as it affects how you would function normally like that's when it starts to become a problem it's really multifaceted, so we're not going to go into it yet (laughs) okay but like i think you know it's such a cool thing that we can talk about you know and it's a roller coaster too it's not like it's not a linear path of caring about what everyone thinks to not giving a fuck and riding a motorbike along the coast you know what i mean it's not like it's not a linear path like you're gonna have ups and downs based on so many factors but for me it's about becoming self-aware of why uh, I like understanding the why. I mean, that's why I do psychology. The how is important because that teaches people how to how to improve in areas. But I like to understand the why first because it's like, it's easy to think, "Oh, how am I going to care less about what people think? And it's really easy to think, how am I going to care less about what people think? Oh, you know, there's, there's so many strategies you can put in place, whether it's surrounding yourself with good people, trying not to acknowledge their opinions and stuff like that but to me the why is just as important because you've got to, if, if it is affecting you there has to be a reason why and there's deeper things there's deeper values internal values that are causing that and I think a lot of the time I care like when, when bullying affected me in like not huge ways like I wasn't a huge victim but everyone's been picked on before and it affected me disproportionately probably what to what I was picked on so it, it affected me a lot worse than what I was at. But then I thought, why? And I used to always think like how I can, you know, how I can retaliate and get back at them. But I never really reflected on why. And until I did, I didn't learn. And I, when I reflected on the why, I thought, it's because I I want to belong. And it's it's an easy thing to say, but I, wanna, I want people to like me. Yeah. And that's so easy to say. And that's true because a lot of people feel the same way. But then I used to think, why do I care what they say when they're not really an important relationship in my life? Why am I taking on board so much of what they're saying Mm. and letting it affect me? It just goes deeper and deeper into like your deep values of wanting to belong and fit in and be special. And that's probably the other thing I've learned is like because you live life through your own lens, because that's what I'm trying to advocate. But sometimes we live life through our lens a little too much, where we think we're a lot more special than we are. When negative things happen, we always, we sort of can sometimes get the why me mentality mm-hmm. uh, instead of realizing that a lot of people, it happens to a lot of people and everyone, and we're not actually as special as we think we are. And the more I realized, the more I realized I'm not special in terms of, like, I wasn't born on this earth as God's gift.
2: Yeah, but that sounds so harsh. It's like, not. It's, you, ha- you have to give yourself some credit. Yeah, like,
1: I know, but it's paradoxical because, the, the how's this, the, the less special I think I am, the better i felt about myself. See, it's paradoxical.
2: Yeah, I guess. I know, but it's it's
1: not just because of that. It's because of how it's transformed my mindset and how it's transformed into actionable stuff in my life.
2: I guess if it's transformed you in a positive way, then that's good. I don't know. I just feel like it's nice to feel special and everyone is put on this earth for a a purpose. Yeah, I
1: can can agree with that that last part. Just because you're put on earth for a reason Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you're any more special than the other person who lives next door to you.
2: See, I disagree. We're all here for a purpose. That doesn't make you special. Yeah. Yes, it does no, it, because everyone has a different purpose.
1: Everyone is important. Yeah. Yes, but that doesn't make you entitled. No, but there's exactly. a difference
2: between being entitled and thinking you're special.
1: Very overlap. because people who think they're special just by nature think they're entitled to certain things in life, and they and they and they can't embrace that those tougher times because they feel like they they shouldn't have to go through that.
2: That's true. But if they think they're special in like a humble way, then it's not hurting anyone. You know what I mean? But if they're entitled. I think they're put on this earth to, like, a save everyone, you know what I mean? Like, there's a
1: difference between having a high self-esteem and feeling worthy of yourself, which is what I'm trying to say, than having the mindset of you're a special, entitled person. <laughs> you, you've you come across people who walk around, talk and act like they are superior Yeah, for no other reason than... They, th- they th- just think they are and there's no evidence for it. So what I'm saying is the more you realise you aren't like that and the more you focus on the positive things you can do for what you thought you think you were brought here to do, like you said, yeah. everyone's brought here for a reason, the yeah. more you focus on the th- reasons you were brought here to do and you stick to that process and you go further with that and you stop wasting time and energy on trying to feel special relative to other people...
2: Yes, I agree with you there.
1: The, the more you're going to feel good about yourself and worthy... And in a humble way, like you said. So I know I know it's sort of paradoxical, but it's it's not, it's not because of the mechanisms that happen when you change your mindset like that. And it's hard to do because, you know, you're going to have an in- inevitable down period when you realise you're not special. It's sort of a tough topic to have on a podcast. It it's is. more <laughs> of a ther- therapy thing. But it's something I've gone... Th- you know, people are going to go through these experiences in different times, but I've gone through the self-discovery process. I-, I wake up each morning, like, just content to be on my journey and happy with that rather than so preoccupied by waking up and caring about, you know, the external stuff. To an extent though, I can say that as much as you want but when people, when you when you receive good feedback on the show or people say like you kicked the ball well, you played well, like inevitably it makes you feel good For sure but it's it does. about to be able to control that just so it's like you can feel good by it but not to the point where like you're relying on it or like it becomes the main focus
2: yeah you don't let it overbear that motivation so you have no other purpose
1: yeah i think this is a few i mean we only talked about it for five ten minutes
2: yeah we could talk about it forever i feel like yeah
1: which i think it's a good opportunity to have in a future episode because it's something i'm passionate about and i would love to talk to anyone about
2: this is fun okay you you have to wrap it up because i'm not a host i don't know know what to do i went
1: to wrap the show up and it went on for another 10 minutes
2: yeah yeah, okay, that's a good point. Okay, you can't... I'm not going to ask you if you want to talk about anything else. You just have to wrap it up.
1: Okay. <laughs> All right, well, that, that'll that conclude the conversation. But I hope this chat has given you a bit of an insight into me, the host, and sort of my journey. And, you know, sort of our journey because we can learn things from each other. And I sort of want this Rooko Mode brand. I'll call it a brand. It's sure. community, family, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I sort of want people to be engaging with me and talk to me and message me about whatever because you know that's that's what I'm passionate about and I'd love to learn from as many people as I can you know now you sort of know the why from me we can sort of go on our, our journey together a bit more and it might sound a little cringe but I'm willing to embrace that uncertainty thanks thanks for listening guys and thanks Bella for coming that's on. That's
2: alright, now for everyone the, can put a voice to the name yeah. of the behind the scenes gal.
1: <laughs> okay there'll definitely be more episodes in the future regarding this stuff because I think it's a cool little side piece to the Brooke o Mode sports psychology stuff. So thanks for coming on and thanks for listening, guys.
2: Bye. So research you to try and find But you don't know where to
0: go So many thoughts flood through your mind You're confused and want to know Mystery, what is to be Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well,